Hey there, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to Samira Stalks. This is a podcast about the dreamers out there and their stories of entrepreneurship. So if you're curious, creative, and you're ready to make an impact on this world, then this is for you. Lee Clan is in my serial entrepreneur category, and he's the co-founder of Crowdcube, an equity crowdsourcing platform which is on a mission to democratise investment for the masses. Tired of the balance of power sitting with financiers and knowing firsthand from his own startup endeavours how hard it is for early-stage companies to access money, Crowdcube has opened up the process of investing to anyone, despite facing initial backlash. So, hi Luke, welcome to the show. Hiya, how are you doing? Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. Um, so, in a line, can you tell us what Crowdcube is? Um, so Crowdcube is, was the world's first, um, but also one of the leading equity crowdfunding platforms. So, so we're on a, a mission to, A, make investment a lot easier for, for great entrepreneurs. Yeah, we felt very, very passionately in the early days that financing startup early stage businesses was difficult and we wanted to change that. Um, secondly, we also wanted to democratize investment. So we wanted to make investing much more accessible and affordable. We were, we were very much, um, or we are very passionate about, um, investment shouldn't be the preserve of the rich, the wealthy and the well connected. We wanted to enable ordinary everyday people as well as rich and wealthy people and institutions to back and support the businesses that they truly believe in. Um, and those are the two founding kind of core principles behind Crowdcube and they remain as true today as they did when we launched back in 2011. Let's actually go back to pre 2011. So yeah. before you even decided to come up with the idea of, um, of Crowdcube. Can you tell us about your, your professional background and personal? Yeah. So my, my background is in, in marketing, branding, advertising, public, re- public relations. I used to work for uh, an internet service provider just around the time where dial-up was evolving into, into broadband. Um, it was a very much a small regional ISP. It was founded by my brother, so I worked for my, my brother. Um, and it was a very exciting, dynamic time. It was an incredibly innovative um, business, which was, which was really inspiring. It was great to be part of a company that was experienced such huge, huge growth. And that company was subsequently acquired by a company called Kingston Communications. And that's when I actually met um, Darren Westlake, who's the other co-founder of Crowdcube. Um, and he joined the, the, the Eclipse Internet team around that, around that time. And I could instantly tell that Darren was not the sort of person that should be wearing a, a shirt and tie to work and working in a, in a corporate environment. He was a, a restless in, individual. He was an entrepreneur like myself that, that wanted to do something different and wanted to change something and wanted to in, innovate. And it can be difficult to do that in a more corporate environment. Two peas in a pod. Yeah, well, we were. We literally, we sat next to each other. He was the, the product manager, I was the marketing guy, I was basically marketing his products. So we had a very, very close relationship in the uh, in those early days. Great. So then let's talk about to that time then where you were sitting next to each other, I imagine hatching hatching plans. And yeah. talk about maybe why the conditions in the market were right then for Crowdcube to be born. Yeah, I, it's, it's a good question. I'm not sure that they necessarily were right at the time. Sure, I spent, anyway. Yeah, yeah. There, there was a lot of people at the time when we came up with the idea and you started socialising it. Remember, this is off the back of one of the worst economic crashes in, in living memory. You know, we, we were starting to, to talk about this in 2007, 2008, 2009, and we were starting to write the business plans. And and the world was a really quite a tragic place back in those days. So the, prem- the founding premise that a 
businesses, well, businesses wanted to raise money, but there were lots of businesses going bust left, right and centre, very, very um, well-known high street brands that were, that were suffering. So the idea that we would help and support startup early stage businesses raise fun- funding, and the idea that those businesses would put their their business plans, their financial projections, all online for all of their competitors to to download and view was something that was that was quite challenging for many. And equally, on the investor side, you're looking at actually you know, people investing and backing and supporting a business that they've never heard of before, the company that they've never they've never met. Um, so those were kind of quite contentious, challenging times. And, and yeah, I guess there were a lot of naysayers back in, back in those days. Um, a lot of people questioning the, the methodology. Um, on the, on the flip we, side, though, I guess, you know, you mentioned that it was an era when Dragon's Den was coming into light. Absolutely. So the, on the flip side, there was definitely a, a funding gap, right? You know, yeah. the, the, you know um, capital was in short, short supply. You know, government grants were, were drying up or being culled. Um, angel investment was on a bit of a downturn as angels were looking to, you know, maybe be a little bit more conservative in, in who they invest in or what they invest in. So there was definitely a funding gap. And there was quite clearly, like, like you say, there was a, a, a greater awareness of angel investing through Dragon's Den, you know, through all its, um, foibles and, and, you know, and, and I, you know, in many ways detest Dragon's Den for, for what it kind of symbolizes and, and stands for. It did a huge, thing in terms of raising awareness of angel investing and how it works and the idea that you can raise and invest in in businesses in exchange for equity and that that's a very very common practice in the US but less so in in the UK so from from an educational point of view that that was you know, that certainly made it made a difference and certainly made our life easier in the early days I understand you have a kind of what I call classic bootstrapping story when 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 uh, when crowd key we, do, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Do you want to take us back to uh, yeah, just those early days and how you sold this idea uh, to both, I guess, financiers, regulators, businesses, and and the investors? Yeah. So I, I guess Darren and I came up with the idea. N- neither of us have, have got wealthy backgrounds. You know, Darren's father was a a, a baker, and, and my dad was a builder. So we, we don't come from wealthy backgrounds, but both of our fathers did put. Ten thousand pounds into the business, and that enabled us to to launch the company, along with our our savings um, and me doing some moonlighting with with freelancing for the first kind of year or so. We we really did bootstrap. We yeah outsourced our um, tech development to um, to Eastern Europe, um, and we managed to launch the platform on that ten thousand pounds and our and our hard work and sorry twenty thousand pounds. And, and a lot of hard work and begging and borrowing along along the way. And how many companies did you launch with and how many investors? Well, we launched with four businesses live on the site. Okay. Um, I'm not sure how many invested we ha- investors we had. Um, none of those four businesses funded, unfortunately. Um, indeed, the first business that we that we did fund took five months for it to from going live on Crowdcube to actually hitting its target of seventy five thousand. So if you if you put that in the context of me and Darren, that's a that's a long long five months, right? That's a that's a long time for your your business model to be out there and being tested. you know tested as it as it were. Um, but we were yeah we were tremendously confident. Yeah, in in essence. The principles behind what we were doing were being proven every day because people were, you know, downloading business plans. They were looking they, at, at the pitches. They were interacting with entrepreneurs, and they were making investments. 
I guess it's still at that point we're still bootstrapping, right? You know, we don't have a lot of a lot of money, um, and I, I personally think that you can learn a tremendous amount about yourself and about the company when you're in that bootstrapping phase. I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's it's character building, and I think it 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 gives you context for any success or failure that you have in in the future as well. Um, and it gives you a point to anchor things too. You know, yeah. when we first launched, we were, yeah, we, 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 our first offices were, were at Exeter Castle, which sounds very, very grand, yeah. but it was, it, it wasn't at all. It was a room around the back that used to be the judges' chambers, which, and barely had electricity, didn't have any internet. The walls were four feet thick. Um, the, the whole building was in a state of flux being, being renovated. It was absolutely freezing. So even in, in, um, August, we were having to, you know, Darren went out to lunch one day and came back with fingerless gloves and long johns for us to wear to keep us, keep us warm. It was that kind of dire situation. But those things you now look back on with, with kind of fond, fondness actually. And it's kind of that early, um, challenges and obstacles that you overcome that, that actually, you know, create you as a character and, yeah, and, and were part of the foundations of Crowdcube as well. So can you talk about some of the metrics behind Crowdcube? So how many companies you have on, what kind of, how many you see applying every week yeah. or every year, uh, how much has been invested? And yeah. Yeah, just give some colour really. So I get, yeah, I guess if you leap forward to 20, um, the end of 2016 now, we, we're approaching 500 businesses that we've funded. So these are 500 companies that have raised, collectively raised almost 200 million pounds between them yeah and we shouldn't under underestimate the impact that these companies are having in yeah. terms of creating jobs safeguarding jobs opening offices restaurants cafes bars um, many of them are exporting overseas developing new products so so really having a real positive impact on on the uk economy and we've got you know, roughly um, three or just over three hundred thousand registered members, of of which around sixty or seventy thousand of those have actually made an investment, and many of them are actually diversifying. So they're not just investing in one business; they're investing in multiple things, and that's something that we you know, we actively encourage because you know whether you like it or not, these are very high risk investments. You know, these are early stage businesses um, that are raising equity finance. So it's important that you spread that money around, and that's one of the beauties behind crowdcube and crowdfunding is it enables people to um, spread that money around a lot more a lot more easily you know if you've got you know whether you've got a thousand pounds a hundred pounds or a hundred thousand pounds you can spread that money into multiple businesses with with relative ease you know we have you know hundreds of businesses apply to us every single month we put roughly 20 to 30 live each 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 month We've always been industry agnostic. You know, there's, there is a heavy bias towards tech. Okay. Um, yeah, there's, you know, for, 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 for obvious reasons, you know, there's, you know, many of those businesses are using technology to enable to disrupt, you know, there's scalable solutions. Um, so that, that can attract investment but you know food and drink has been very very popular for us you know we've we funded a lot of uh, green tech and clean tech businesses we funded um um manufacturing companies so so we we've never really kind of um focused on any one particular um sector as it were um but the, i guess the the 
the sector that's really sh- stood out in 2016 is probably fintech and financial mm. services. I think we've had a huge amount of success there. Some of our most notable fundraisers this year would be you know, Monzo, which is a mobile first challenger bank. Um, they raised a million pounds in just 96 seconds wow. on the site, um, which is, which was pr- pretty, pretty incredible. Um, Go Henry, which is a prepaid credit card for, for children. Um, which I think is a fantastic business. I think they're, you know, they're, they're, they're doing incredible things. They raised four million pounds, um, in the spring. That set a new, new world record for the most amount raised through a crowdfunding campaign. Well, then you've got Revolut, which is a, a an overseas oh, current card. currency exchange, yeah. which is going, you know, gangbusters as well. And then we've got ourselves and we like raised a hundred thousand on the waiting list. Yeah, I'll do my best. Actually, they would. They wouldn't allow me to jump the queue either. Actually, so. um, and then, and then ourselves, and we, yeah, we raised um, you know, seven million pounds through our own platform, eight million if you include the money that Boulderton Capital invested. So it, it, we, we've seen some huge success stories, and I, and I guess in the last eighteen months, um, we've seen a real shift and a real twen- trend towards. Um, businesses that are a little bit more mature, a little bit more well established. Okay. So they're they're often now going for um, larger sums of money. We're approaching um, raising our fiftieth million pound or more fundraise. Okay. So that's kind of classic Series A, Series B um, fundraising. So that that's typical venture capital um, hunt, hunting hunting ground. And actually, we've seen a, a, a great response from the venture capital community. I think there was a lot of people that were predicting this clash and this um, conflict between crowdfunding and, and venture capital, and they wouldn't be bedfellows, and, and the, the venture capital in, industry would be um, very derogatory towards what we were doing. And, and actually, many of them were in the early days, actually. Mm. Um, but over time, we've won them won them across and, and made made friends. And you know, many of our biggest deals, like Monzo, for instance, have been venture capital back, like Revolut, which was, you know, that was part of a £10 million round. Monzo was part of a £6 million round. And so as well as uh, what you what you've highlighted, kind of this idea of a consumer-centric ethos coming from the businesses. Are there any other common strands between some of the ones that you mentioned that do particularly well on Crowdcube or uh, what are the common traits you can pick out of those, say, three that you mentioned that you think that's why they did well? Well, I guess to, to do well on Crowdcube or any fundraising, you need to have you need to have a good business and a good idea and you need to have a solid team and needs to have a addressable market. Um, and where possible, you need to be able to show that there's demonstrable tra- traction and track record behind what you're doing. Um, and the later the stage those businesses go, the more mm-hmm. scope there is for being able to, to, to prove that and demonstrate that. What would you say your, your thesis is, I suppose, that you mentioned 100 coming through a week, but 20 only making the first filter? Well, I, I, it's actually wor- it's worse than that, better than that, depending on which way you look at it. So we... Uh, of 100%, we, we probably um, speak to or, or 10% of the businesses that we speak to get onto to the platform. Okay. So there's a huge funnel at yeah. the top end. Um, and lots of the businesses that we talk to just aren't the right stage or they're not ready or we, we don't deem them to be suitable for, 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 for raising finance on Crowdcube. Um, 
And it's only the, the 10% that make it through onto the site. So there's a huge kind of vetting and due diligence process that these businesses are going through. And then, of course, when they do go onto the site, they then get exposed mm. to the crowd and the crowd's, you know, cross-examination, due diligence, questioning. Uh, and roughly around 50 or 60% of those businesses that list actually hit their funding target. So there's a, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of, um, due diligence, cross-referencing, examination, um, questioning that happens to all of the businesses that list on the site. Um, and I guess having that, that broad, diverse community of investors is what, is what makes it so rich. You're, you're no longer reliant on trying to convince one angel or two angels that are sat the opposite side of the, the table to you. It's not, you don't have that dragon's den kind of scenario anymore where the balance of power is very much in the hands of one or two wealthy individuals that are able to drive very very aggressive terms you know you've got a community sometimes in the hundreds sometimes in the thousands um, investing so it kind of um, you know we shouldn't underestimate that and we should underestimate you know when we talk about making investment accessible yeah we really have done that. You know, yeah. you know, people can invest from just ten pounds. You know, before Crowdcube was launched, um, the UK Business Angel Association estimated that three percent of angels in the UK were female. I think that that was deeply optimistic. That 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 number um, on Crowdcube, around twenty five percent of investors are female. In some businesses, they outnumber um, male investors. You know, there's a much more richer, diverser. Um, community of people backing and supporting these businesses. And so I want to move on to what I call a bit of pseudo-psychology. So you penned a piece uh, in The Guardian recently and and alluded to it earlier when you talked about your own experiences uh, Mm. as an entrepreneur yourself. But um, you described entrepreneurs as gloriously imperfect and uh, respecting, you mentioned, respecting those that give it a crack. Um, But what would you say the most kind of three common qualities are what are some of the things that you see between your most outstanding uh, entrepreneurs you work with uh, it's a good that's a really good question i i think it comes down to i think the most common characteristics among successful entrepreneurs tend to be around there's a there's a tenacity a determined nature around what they're doing and um, they do see things differently you know they do see opportunities where people see difficulties and threats and um, and they, they are problem solvers. So they're not just seeing an opportunity, but they're, they're trying to solve problems. Um, and I think those are, those are real common, um, traits that I see a lot. Um, also, you, they, they tend to be risk, risk takers as well. You yeah. know, you don't often get many deeply conservative entrepreneurs. Yeah. They tend to be brave. They tend to be willing to take risks. They tend to be willing to jack in their, their, you know, relatively well paid, jobs and and take a chance on on starting starting a business who's top of your christmas drinks list then that you've worked with or what of entrepreneurs that, yeah. I'm, that I'm impressed with yeah um crikey that's 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 difficult favorites. that's i don't have maybe it's like picking from the children um I think I think Tom at Monzo is 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 exceptional. He's a young guy. He's already started Go Cardless, which is a yeah. you know, incredible success story. Um, in in a very different way, um, Alex at, at, at Go Henry is is an incredibly accomplished businessman. Yeah, he's worked for um, Expedia. He was you know, sold um, is it Lynda.com. 
Um, so he, yeah, he's, he's an extremely accomplished guy, but equally, you know, Eric at Pod Point, which is a, uh, electric car charging point. I've got tr- tremendous admiration for what he's doing. Yeah. He's building tech, you know, hardware yeah. and he's installing infrastructure around the country. Yeah. yeah. That is and tough, right? Tech. Yeah. Clean tech, right? Yeah. And that's tough. And he's ridden the wave where everyone, like for the last 10 years, everyone said, Oh, this is going to be the year that electric cars really yeah. take off. No, this is going to be the, you know, this is going to be the year. And it hasn't. And he's, he's stuck in there and he's hung at it for, for a long, long time and starting to really see the few, you know, the fruits of, of that patience, that, t- you know, that tenacity, that yeah. determination that this is, you know, I'm onto something here. I'm making this, this is going to be, this is going to be huge. And talk about breaking the mold. So here in London, you have, you know, a technology hub building around the east, maybe a, a creative and, and a health kind of hub building yeah. around King's Cross in, in central London. But you guys, like you said, you started off in Exeter Castle and you've, you've stood your ground, you know, yeah. with, uh, I imagine, I don't know actually, a predominantly southeast heavy uh, uh, company set. You've 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 managed to make this work from Exeter. Can yeah. you just talk about some of yeah how, how how that's how and why that's happened and yeah how how you do manage that? I suppose the short story is Darren and I live in in Exeter and we really really like it. It's a great place to live. You've got beaches on the north, beaches on the south coast. You've got great moors. You've got clean fresh air. <laughs> I'm a really keen cyclist, so there's lots of great cycling. And and I guess we've never really felt that desire to move to 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 London. Yeah, we we come and spend a lot of our time here because a lot of what we do is is in and around London. We've built a, a great team and that, you know a team that's yeah high performance and they're absolutely smashing it every every day out on the streets and going out and meeting all of those great companies that are based in you know Old Street Shoreditch area. The head office is based down in the in the southwest. There's a, around fifty people working down there we've got offices in 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 london where there's about 20 and there's an office in cardiff there's an office in manchester barcelona well if you have if, i guess if you have hubs for sourcing and yeah. relationship building yeah. that always happens yeah, yeah. as well people in it's particularly in the early days were always very much um incredulous that we um were based in in exeter um and their first question was always, when are you going to move to London? Right. And we were like, we're, we're not going to. That's, that's not part of the, that's not part of the plan. And I think that, that helps with some of the, you know, we, we are alternative. We are disruptive. We are trying to do things differently. We don't want to conform. We don't want to just be another fintech firm that's, you know, come out of level 39 or wherever it might be. We are, we, we do genuinely believe that we're, we're we're different on that on that front, and the culture reflects that as well. Yeah. Can you actually take us to what I call your lowest moment or or biggest failure uh, as part of this journey, and just take us to that specific moment? You've quit your your your, your job, you're freelancing to make ends meet. You don't have a huge amount of money. You're bootstrapping. You're working in a freezing cold office in in Exeter, and and that was that was really really difficult. That was challenging. That that tested. Darren and my and my resolves and our determination and our tenacity. We were kind of sat around in in that office in 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 the castle in Exeter, wondering what we're going to do. And we were seeing the success of 
um, Kickstarter in the US, mm. which is really starting to take hold. And, and we were like, salads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we were like, hell, fuck, why don't we just do a UK Kickstarter? Yeah, yeah. Um, and two or three weeks later, that's what we did. And we launched a company called Crowdfunder.co.uk, which is the UK's leading reward-based crowdfunding platform. It's, okay. We merged it with another crowdfunding platform and they run and control it. But I guess that, that, that shows... Um, what Darren and I are, are like when you're presented yeah. with a you know, real challenge and a massive obstacle. Yeah, maybe something, maybe you might be proud of this story, but I'm yeah. going to have to ask you. So, this is somewhere on stalks after all, right. and I'm stalking you at yeah. the moment, but I'm going to have to make you tell us a story about who you've stalked and, uh, and how that's gone. Okay. I guess the, the a good one that I can relate to Crowdcube would be it's related to the that story, the story that we. Um, <laughs> that I've just told actually is yeah of, of all the companies that I've stalked over the years um, and I guess all of the businesses that I invest in you're you become a stalker of that business right you want to find out information so and that's something that we're looking to try and facilitate through through Crowdcube but certainly in the early days Darren and I stalked Kickstarter like <laughs> nobody's business right <laughs> if we yeah if we if we ever had a question we would just go I wonder how Kickstarter do it. <laughs> and we would just be on their site looking at how they, they did it or how they set up their web pages or, you know, the processes that they did. Um, and we followed them, um, like glue for the first, you know, year or two. And have you connected um, with them? Um, yeah, we have. Yeah. Okay. Over, over time. Yeah. And, and some of the other big platforms to come out of the US as well, like Kivo as well. So yeah. they, they were sh- huge. I mean, yeah. still are huge, but yeah. they were huge back in, um, kind of, 2010, 11, 12. Now it's the quick fire round. Okay. So right. <laughs> just going to cool. shoot some questions okay. at you. Yeah. First thing that comes to your head, um, what was the last thing that inspired you? An investor event that I went to last night. Luke. Literally, Luke, I went honestly. to an investor event. You said the last thing. Yeah. So I went okay. to an investor event, a company called Lacole, cycling brand. Okay. Really, really, no. really, really cool company. It's run by a guy called Yanto Baku, who's an ex-pro cyclist. Um, they do real high end stuff. Like gear. Uh, yeah, yeah, gear, yeah, 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 like, yeah, cycling, lycra and stuff. Um, and I'm a massive cycling fan. I, yeah, I, you know, ride as much as I can. I do triathlons and stuff. So, yeah, it was great to We've see that brand. On. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, great business as well. Yeah, great business. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's always great to turn up to an event and hear the authenticity yeah. from, from founders and from people behind the business talking passionately about their company. So that, that was, that was good. Uh, what tea do you drink? I don't drink tea. Oh, okay. <laughs> nice. I've only recently started drinking coffee, actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, I um, A, it makes me cycle faster, I found. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but B, um, I wanted to feel a little bit more grown up when I was meeting people. <laughs> yeah. So I'd often go and have a coffee with people, but then I would have like a... A hot chocolate or something, or a glass of milk. Yeah, and, come on, and, um, chocolate, please. And some, like someone tea. made someone made a funny comment to me once about it, and then I thought, really, maybe I should take up, start drinking coffee. So I, yeah, so I started drinking coffee to feel a bit more grown up, okay. basically, <laughs> and made me cycle faster. Good. And um, what fictional character do you remind yourself of? Ah, uh, Christ. <laughs> not Christ. That's, that's not necessarily f- fictional. fictional. <laughs> that's a bit awkward. Well, I was a big Star Wars fan. I was named after Luke Skywalker. Oh, okay, there you go. And okay. James Bond. Middle name's James. Okay. So. 
Yeah, yeah, James Bond would be good. Okay. Or Luke Skywalker. What is your music jam at the moment? Um, I'm listening to The Kills at the moment. Is that um, pumping through your headphones? On yeah, it is. On a, very good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I was listening to that on the way up on the train, but also on the bike over the weekend. So I'm enjoying it. And what is your, what's your one book, I guess, that you, uh, that you love? My, my favourite book yeah. is uh, Catch-22. Um, so it's the book that coined the phrase Catch-22. I just think it's hilarious. Um, book about the futility of war. Okay. Um, and it's, it's, it's difficult to get into, but it, once you do get into it, it is a laugh out loud kind of book. And I read it years and years ago when I was, um, traveling. Um, and I'm saving it to read again when I'm on a nice holiday somewhere. And I want to make it, yeah, yeah, well, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I guess before leaving us, what would you say your Lucasms are? So what parting advice would you give for anyone kind of tra- crazy enough to go out there and try and change the status quo or the world? Do it, you know, be entrepreneurial. It's like... It, any anyone can be entrepreneurial. Anyone can anyone can do it. Anyone can try it. And I genuinely believe that when you do try it and you push your boundaries and you push yourself, you'll thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah, you push yourself outside your com- comfort zone. And you know, be tenacious. Be be brave. I think bravery is a great trait. Um, um, and I, I think people should try to push those boundaries. And whatever you do, enjoy what you do. Um, if you're going to start a new business, you might as well do it as, with something that's going to be fun and enjoyable and you're going to get a lot out of. So don't start a boring business. Yeah, start a business <laughs> yeah. where you've got a brewery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thank you for being on the show, Luke. Good stuff. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. It's great to see consumers being able to share in the upside of their preferred products. Please do reach out on Appsamira Stalks on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook to let me know what you thought. And do share this episode with two friends that you think might like it. If you're a fintech nerd, you may also enjoy episode 21 from the back catalogue, where we hear from a Bitcoin episode, arguing the case for it being a better savings investment. And check out episode 10 with VC investor Shil Monop, who explores the topic of bringing finance to the rest of us. Do join me next week for another episode as well. See you then. Bye.